today on Ag News Daily. When the hens were spent, as they said, then they fed them to the crocodiles so they could make leather purses out of the crocodiles. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We have made it through a holiday-shortened week. It is July 6th. I'm Mike Pearson, joined by Delaney Howe. Delaney, how are you doing today? My allergies are bothering me, but other than that, I can't complain. Fantastic. You don't sound too stuffed up, so we're glad to have you on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, good. And we also, of course, have Hannah Pagel with us. Hannah, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. And yourself? I can't complain. It is somewhat cool outside. The sun is out. We've got beans up almost 30 cents here as we we're recording before the close. So uh, we'll see where those things yeah, wrap no up. Kidding. But uh, boy, well, Delaney, why don't you bring us up to speed? What's going on? I I'm surprised, like in a good way, because we had the tariffs go into effect at 12:01 p.m. against China. And even with their canceled shipments of soybeans, so far they've canceled, I don't know, like 366,000 metric tons, I think, of soybeans that were supposed to be headed to China. Even with all that in mind, beans are up a lot on the day. Yeah, it certainly looks like a a sell the rumor, buy the news type of trading story. Yeah, It makes you wonder if, you know, it's fully priced in and if so, what's the next big story that people are going to be watching. Is it going to be weather or are we going to continue giving the trade and tariff news the the limelight? I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say today's bounce certainly indicates and doesn't tell us anything for sure, but it indicates mm-hmm. to me that, you know, perhaps we've gotten a little oversold on the fear heading into the tariffs. If things don't get worse, if President Trump doesn't announce any additional tariffs and China doesn't retaliate any further, I gotta say we've seen the impact of the trade on bean prices now i think the topic absent another trade dispute turns like you say delaney to weather and what's this crop going to look like by the time we get her in the beans get her her in the beans that's right get the beans in the bin maybe is what i was trying to say yeah i think so oh boy well hannah what do you have for us for news today well, I just want to jump right in and ask you guys' opinion because yesterday you guys had just finished the podcast and, Mike, you posted on our social media page the breaking news that Scott Pruitt had mm-hmm. resigned from the EPA. So I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts a little bit. I saw President Trump. He announced that Scott Pruitt had resigned via Twitter, um, but it was just kind of, it sounds like a mix of array emotions here, just with ethical questions about his traveling spending, security costs, um, dealings with industry lobbyists, and then the main thing with, you know, the renewable fuel standards. So there's kind of a lot of things leading up to his resignation, it looks like. Yeah, I think, too, um, we've had people commenting on our Facebook and Twitter posts about it yesterday, and it seems to be kind of a mixed bag for folks. Because on the one hand, he was doing all that shady stuff. But on the other, as our friend Gary Rasmussen points out on our Facebook page, which you can find us at Ag News Daily, he had been doing quite a bit of work to roll back regulations like WOTUS and mining and whatnot. So I don't know. Mixed bag, I think, for some people. Yeah, I I think so, too. I think here's how I approach it. And Gary and other listeners, by all means, I'd love to hear your opinion. I think... 
anyone who President Trump would have appointed to, appointed to be head of the EPA. And whoever steps into his shoes, whether it's Andrew Wheeler, who's the interim, uh, what, what's his title? Yeah, I think it, it's head. interim director or something Interim like that. director, thank you. Um, I think anybody who does that is going to be good at rolling back regulations. I think WOTUS was going to get rolled back under President Trump, whoever was in the in charge of the EPA. The issue that jumps out at me with Scott Pruitt it comes back to the small refinery exemptions. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. about, I've read a lot of reports that really the career bureaucrats at EPA just didn't like him and his security detail and flying first class. According to some of these sources, that's not all that, you know, surprising. That's what a lot of these directors do, but they just hated Pruitt. And so that was what they continued to leak and publicize. From my perspective, I look at it as a win for agriculture that he's gone. Um, for, for Corn Belt agriculture, because mm-hmm. whoever comes into his place probably won't be issuing as many small refinery waivers and is still going to be good at rolling back these burdensome regulations that are in place uh, across the country on all different sectors of industry. Um, it's interesting that we're talking about that today, too, because because of his resignation, the uh, RINs prices yesterday jumped by as much as 31 percent. Ha! Wow. Yeah. So now, you know, that adds legitimacy to the idea that, you know, the RFS is going to be law again, and we won't just be handing out these small refinery, you know, quote, unquote, yeah. small refinery exemptions. Certainly so looks like that. We'll see who moves into his place. Hannah, do you, have you heard anything? Do you have any news on who might be stepping into Pruitt's place? Uh, isn't it that Wheeler? The I, Yeah, I think I think he's going to be permanently taking over. That's what I've heard. Oh, gotcha. All right. So we need to learn a little bit more about Andrew Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we'll get on that. Let's see. Uh, Delaney, do you have any other news? Yeah, I had one other piece of quick information. As we're talking about trade and maybe potential new markets, Djibouti, Africa, on Thursday launched Africa's biggest free trade zone and port. And it's expected to be the busiest location and capable of handling $7 billion worth of trade in the next two years. Wow. Yeah. Seven, seven billion? Yeah, with a B. Seven with a B. Jeez. Now, for those of us who are <laughs> not looking at a map of Africa, Delaney, where is Djibouti? That's a great question. I'm Googling it myself right now, but I want to say it's <laughs> the southern tip of Africa. Uh, that's South Africa. I'm pretty sure. Hold on. Nope, I lied. It's actually... Nope. It's near Yemen and Ethiopia, Somalia, that side. So that would be the horn of Africa. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, good for them. Hopefully it'll help create some stability and generate some some wealth over there in Africa where it's uh, much needed, I think is fair to say. I think so, too. Hannah, what about you? What's jumping out at you today? So my other piece that I have for you today is the University of Illinois professor. Okay, his name is very... Very cool. Jiris Chowdhury, he designed small robots that work beneath the crop canopy, and he said that these robots can do research and they can spot trouble that you can't do from aerial views. But they're looking at finding diseases and pests and just spotting that early on, and then also the robots are meant to provide weed control for corn and soybean farmers, and they're looking at Um, rolling this out and they're trying to keep the cost really low for around like $10,000 but it's kind of comparable to other technologies that are out there 
But I thought that would be kind of a cool Tech Tuesday segment if we can get yeah. get him on there talking robots and corn and soybean fields. Yeah, little robots creeping around under the the corn canopy, under the bean canopy. And this almost seems like it could be the start to a horror movie. Yeah, like the robots, not they children, amass. not children of the corn, but robots of the corn or something like yeah, that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, are they, they like? Come, they wait till dusk, and then they all oh, come gosh. swarming out of the corn and feast upon you while you're at your grill or whatever. Are they like really tiny if they're underneath soybean canopy? They. Honestly, have you guys seen the movie Wally? They kind of look yeah. like a, a, like a little box that just oh, and they're trying to like they're still working on this technology, but they're looking at trying to find robots that can like move across all different types of terrain, and so they're just working on that. But yeah, just think of like Wally in the cornfields. That's what I have in my head okay. as of right now. I can picture okay. that. Well, that's that's much cuter than a herd of <laughs> of deadly killer tiny robots. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, I've just got uh, something interesting here. We did see, in addition to soybeans rallying on the tariff news, or at least the the ending of these tariff talks, uh, we saw the stock market as a whole rise quite a little bit. Non-farm payroll, so an indicator of the employment uh, situation in America, rose by 213,000 jobs last month, which was well over what analysts were expecting. The surprising thing was we did have more jobs filled than expected. We also saw the unemployment rate rise. Mm. Uh, went from 3.8%, a historic low, to 4%. And the reason that the rate rose was because more people are now looking for work. Those long-term unemployed, people who've been unemployed longer than 64 weeks, we had a record amount of them say that, you know what, the economy starts to look better. We're going to go ahead and start looking for jobs again. So I think from a protein consumption standard, from beef and pork and poultry, this is good news. A stronger economy means hopefully those forks are, folks are going to be out there putting meat on their forks. Literally. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, let's look at where the meat markets and grains close for today, Mike. Let's do it. I just have one other fun story. You ladies might have seen this. Some of our listeners might have been following this on Twitter. Um, there was a race on Twitter yesterday. There was a ship called the Peak Pegasus. Oh, and I it, saw this. Yes. It was carrying the last load of U.S. soybeans to China. And it left Seattle on the 8th of June, and it was scheduled to arrive yesterday in China before noon, which is when the tariffs went into place on Beijing time, and something happened. It was started going slow earlier this week. They delayed it to 5 p.m., and so you can follow where ships are in real time on a number of different apps, and so people on Chinese Twitter, which is called Weibo, were were cheering this ship on and trying to encouraging it. There were a couple of quotes. Uh, one of the users said, good luck, bro, to the ship. Another one says, you are no ordinary soybean, and peak Pegasus was the 34th highest trending topic in China yesterday. It beat out the World Cup. It beat out all of the show business news. That's how much people are tuning in to what's going on in China. And we're going to get a feel for that with our interview, aren't we, Delaney? Absolutely. I caught up with Monty James this morning to talk about his trip to China. And he, we really get into the nitty gritty of like, this is what people in the country think. And it sounds like they're consumers are really educated and know what's going on. 
Perfect. Well, let's get to the markets and we'll talk to Monty James. Here's where things wrapped up for the day. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends over at the Zaner Group. Make sure you're in a position to capture in these volatile markets some margin for your operation. Give the Zaner Group a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. And it's green on the screen all the way down in the grain market. Let's take a look at corn. The July contract closed up eight and a quarter cents at three fifty one and three quarters. December new crop up seven and a quarter at three seventy one and three quarters. Soybeans were the big winner today. The July contract closed up thirty eight and a half cents, finishing the week at eight seventy four even. November up thirty eight and a quarter, closed at eight ninety four even. And in Chicago wheat, July was up eight and three quarters at five twelve and three quarters. The September also up eight and three quarters to close the day at 514 and a quarter. Wasn't quite as friendly over on the livestock side. In live cattle, we've got mixed trade with the August contract unchanged at 106.3750. The October down 50 cents at 109.6250. In feeder cattle, the August contract was lower by 37 and a half cents, closed the week at 152.20. September down 30 to finish at 152.2750. And in lean hogs, front month July took it on the chin, down $1.92 and a half to wrap the week at 81.37.50 and August down 62.5 to finish at 75.42.50. And of course, a quick look at the dairy market. In class three milk, the July contract oof, off 15 cents on the day to close at 14.21. The August down 17 cents to finish at 14.69. Before we get to that conversation with Monty James, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. I'm joined now by agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds, Phil Long. And Phil, a lot of folks have been experiencing severe weather. And along with that comes some concern with green snap. What have you been seeing when you've been getting out in the field? And what should producers be doing to prevent this or once this occurs in their field? Yeah, it seems like we can't get away from the severe weather. Heavy heavy winds and, and hail, we've had a lot of that stuff lately. And, and now this last weekend, it seems like there's a lot of green snaps showing up, you know. And it's just the time of the year, unfortunately. This is the time when you when you hope, hope you don't have those strong winds come through. The corn plants are growing really fast at that period of rapid growth. And, and you know, those, those nodes and those inner nodes just aren't lignified yet. They're not, not strengthened up to the point that they will be once they get the tassel and start filling that in. But um, unfortunately, we have a lot of green snap around the around the state. Unfortunately, we, we won't expect to, to see an ear for most of those plants because typically they break off below the, the primary ear. So you're not going to see yield out of that one. There are there are cases where sometimes you may see an ear pop through, you know, secondary ear if it broke off just below that, that primary ear. But uh, you typically you're not going to see, you're going to have a, a total loss in terms of that plant. Um, you know, in the future, the, the best thing to do really is, is try to mitigate that and plant a range of maturities. You know, try to get those plants at different stages so they're at different points in that process. Uh, during this this key time frame and and I'd say just pray for less wind but uh, I know that's that's a hard thing to come across out here in, in this part of the country. It definitely is and Phil if folks have questions about their fields or more specifically green snap how can they get a hold of you? Just uh, go to uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven go latham or, or send us an email as well. Well, of course, today is Friday, and those Chinese tariffs go into effect or went into effect this morning at 12.01 a.m. 
And we are catching up with Monty James, who was our quote-unquote on-the-ground reporter from China the last couple of weeks. Monty, first of all, welcome back stateside. Thank you, Delaney. It is nice to be back stateside. I bet it is. But uh, it's good to get home. And are you feeling a little jet lag today? I'm feeling a lot of jet lag today. It's uh, something I didn't really believe in before, but I'm feeling the pain right now. So I got about uh, five cups of coffee up (laughs) in me, and I'm going to cowboy up and try to keep mentally mental clarity if possible. (laughs) Cowboy up, I like that. (laughs) Monty, walk us through what you were doing in China the last two weeks. We of course got a couple quick reports from you, which I'm sure everybody enjoyed hearing, but walk us through what you were doing. Yeah, Delaney, you know, we almost didn't get to go. Um, The NAFB had, that's the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, had uh, actually organized this trip through a travel agency, Custom Travel Network out of California, and uh, we actually um, had journalists on the trip, uh, eight journalists, and the rest were uh, people involved in agriculture in some way whether they be, uh, you know, prominent farmers or people on the uh, National Ethanol Board. or There's a variety of people that weren't journalists. But the ironic part was uh, the journalists all got held in Los Angeles, and we missed three days of the trip because of the JQ visas. Uh, the other, our traveling partners went as tourists and got through it no problem, but the Chinese government uh, took a, a hard look at our credentials, and uh, we actually missed three days. We didn't get to go to Shanghai, but we joined them in Beijing, and uh, it was just a really neat and uh, eye-opening experience. I, I totally didn't expect what we saw in China. I, I really thought it would be 100% different than it is. It's very impressed with the country, very impressed with uh, the hospitality and the work ethic of the Chinese people, and uh, the rapid push to urbanize uh, the rural countryside. When you think of China, you think of, and, and it just five years ago, a lot of the farming and agriculture came from, uh, you know, day-to-day survival. Uh, somebody would have a an acre and a half with, with a rice paddy and a pig and five ducks and a cow, and that was their agriculture. Mm. And they tried, you know, just to feed themselves and maybe sell something to the farmer at the open market, market. And uh, now, uh, Chinese government, of course, China is a communist country. Uh, everybody seems cool with it. I didn't hear any complaints, but, you know, um, so the, the Chinese government is, is really pushing hard to move the rural farmers into the uh, giant high-rise, maybe 50-story high, just row after row after row, a million, uh, you know, like there would be a population of a million people just in high-rise apartments oh, wow. in the middle of nowhere where they're pushing the farmers in, they're giving them jobs, and they're taking their land, of course, and mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to make their agriculture more efficient instead of just somebody trying to sustain their family. Now they're trying to sustain the entire country, and wow. it's a massive effort that they're, they're undertaking. Absolutely. That's actually really interesting. So they're trying to move these farmers from rural areas into the city, and are they giving them agriculture jobs within the city, or are they asking them to work as civil servants, basically? Yeah, you know, it's civil service, basically, and they're trying to farm more efficiently, of course, and utilize the land. And I misunderstood the, you know, the land in China is three quarters just rugged, mountainous terrain, and only about a quarter of it is farmable. So they're trying to utilize what they have to uh, to feed themselves and avoid situations like we have right now with the tariff issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk about the tariff issue, because, of course, those went into effect today, and a lot of people here in the U.S. are worried about it. Can you give us any insight into what the Chinese people think about these tariffs? Do they know what's going on? 
Yeah, they seem to, and that's you know there's a Chinese propaganda network that we you mm-hmm. watched a lot in uh, motel rooms or hotel rooms, I should say. We didn't stay at the Motel Six on this trip, by the way. We were pretty <laughs> much at Rich Carlton. We stayed in the very best of the best, but we did definitely get to tour the uh, actual, you know, real down, uh, hardcore uh, countryside of China through the bullet trains and whatnot. But the attitude, uh, people didn't really, you know, it, first of all, the language barrier was intense. I mean, it took us, after two weeks, it's all we could do to master thank you, which is, mm. I don't know, I forgot it. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, they... Uh, as far as the people themselves, our tour guides were our best source. You know, we they, we would be on a bus with them for two or three days, and then we would get on a personal, you know, relationship with them. And then, and of course, having reporters on the bus, we would try to get, you know, uh, information on the, how they felt about it. And categorically, uh, the six different tour guides we had said the same thing. You know, they don't want it. Um, they think it's a bad idea. But... China has been through horrible economic times, uh, extreme famines, floods. It's just been a poor third world type of country for eons since, you know, the last few thousand years. And one thing they made perfectly clear is they're used to surviving on, you know, the, the basics, the rawest, you know, the very yeah. basic materials in life. Uh, even the food we ate, everything had bones in it, and they ate everything but the squeal, mostly pork. You know, it's just they are very self-sufficient, and they are lean and mean, and uh, their main thing that they got across is we're hoping that this don't happen. We hope we have good relations with our American friends, but we'll do what we have to do. They have great pride in their country, and they absolutely uh, have dedication to um, you know to the, the country of China, and they'll do whatever they're supposed to do to make it uh, to survive. Wow, that's really really intense, actually. Yeah, it yeah. is. We, our first, uh, and of course, the our tour guides had Americanized names, like Mickey was one of our uh, <laughs> favorite ones. She told of, uh, uh, you know, growing up in a small rural village, she was probably in her mid-40s, and she talked about, uh, apparently they had that uh, drought famine uh, in the late 70s, and she talked about some of the stuff that they ate, you know, right down to chicken feet and chicken heads, and and survived basically on rice bed. And it was, you know, the, the thing that really shocked us was um, once you established a friendship, the way they would just absolutely tell things that seemed mm. extremely personal to it, and very moving, you know, that they would talk about their hardships, and always with a really good attitude and, and a, just a tremendous uh, spirit. Wow. Well, that's that's really uplifting to hear that they are just so personable, and I guess when you look at that type of situation where she grew up like that, having to eat, I guess, basically the stuff we would all throw away here in America... Is there a huge divide between those living in, well, the rural areas are move, being moved into the cities and those that are maybe like the higher up government officials making those decisions for the Chinese people? You know, I think it keeps fairly uh, even keel being a communist country. I mean, it, I know what you're saying. And the, the only, you know, the, like maybe the housing part of it or the, the automobiles. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you saw some pictures I posted um, of just, Everybody pulling, you know, grain carts and, and uh, flatbeds with mopeds, I mean, and mm-hmm. bicycles. And, I mean, they're weaved in and out of traffic, especially in, in uh, like, Xi'an and towns like that and the more Shenzhou. Uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of, of uh, bicycle traffic and, and, you know, they're basically hauling stuff to construction sites on, on mopeds and bicycles. Oh. But at the same token... As they're weaving in and out of this crazy traffic, there's BMWs, Range Rovers, 
and uh, an, an unusual amount of port navigators. <laughs> and that kind of mm. is a huge advertising push. Everywhere we went from the high-end malls and supermarkets to the down and dirty wet markets, there was signs for a Lincoln Navigator. And I'm like, what? Really? I mean, it was, but yeah, it uh, it was amazing. The, the I didn't see you couldn't you couldn't detect any disparity between uh, people personally as far as okay, this is a very high up uh, uh, person in the in the Communist Party to just a, a person on the street. Everybody had the same cheerful disposition. And uh, the same, you know, dedication and great pride uh, in their country, and especially in their towns. I mean, every tour guide was like, "We hope you bring your family back to visit our beautiful city." And I'm like, you know, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> this is a once in a lifetime trip. But yeah. they're like promoting their 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 individual cities, and you could you could detect some capitalism mixed in with communism, mm-hmm. which interesting. is uh, uh, interesting. Yeah. So, Monty, while you were in China, did you guys get to tour any agricultural operations or farms or manufacturing? Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, of course, with the NAMP, that was our mission. And a lot of the rural areas we got to see while we were on the high-speed trains or on the buses. Uh, and we did hit uh, five of the top 25 biggest cities in the world with, you know, Beijing to uh uh, Chengdu to Hong Kong. So we went everywhere in between. So we got to see a lot of the countryside. We went to a really interesting poultry production facility where, uh, when they were, when the hens were spent, as they said, then they fed them to the crocodiles so they could make leather purses out of the crocodiles, huh. which, uh, we saw a golf bag that was worth converted to US dollars was $28,000 for a oh my golf gosh. bag. Of course, uh, crocodile skins are illegal in the United States, but, uh, it was just an amazing facility to see. Um, we also had a lot of meetings with like the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Um, we met with, of course, Ambassador uh, Terry Branstad, the ambassador to China, former Iowa governor, who was uh, absolutely trying to resolve this situation and the tariff issue. And, and uh, Senator, or, uh, excuse me, former Secretary of Agriculture John Block was on our trip. And all of them, you know, really see the importance of rectifying this situation. And they can see where American producers have everything to lose uh, on this deal. You know, yeah, maybe coal and, and steel will benefit, but the farmers are going to, as usual, they'll take a, they'll take it in the shorts and lose on this deal. But yeah, we did. Uh, we toured the ports. Uh, we saw the port of Hong Kong, and also one of the bigger ports in the world, uh, the port of Ganzhou. And uh, the sad part of that was massive, massive cargo ships full of uh, soybeans freshly coming into port from Panama and Brazil, and they'll, they will definitely get their soybeans elsewhere and probably mm-hmm. at a better price. Um, so, yeah, they, they have no, you know, they have no qualms about it. They they will do what they got to do to survive and, and seeing these ships just lined up. And you can see some of our, I'll send you some of our pictures, but it was amazing to see the amount of, uh, of soybeans in the ports that we went to. They're just everywhere. And I, I, as a journalist, I felt that maybe they were trying to push us in that direction to see that, knowing that we would have interviews just like we're having right. now, saying, yeah, they will get it elsewhere. This is a big planet, and there are other sources. Uh, but we hope it's our American farmers and uh, our beef producers that, uh, you know, uh, obviously don't uh, suffer this uh, yeah. devastating blow. I mean, I think we've already had some soybean shipments canceled heading to China already since the tariffs went into effect. When you look at beef, what are their thoughts there? We just got that market reopened up after the mad cow disease outbreak. Uh, moving forward, do you think we're going to be able to continue to export beef to China? Uh, not with the. I don't think with the current situation we will. Like uh, that's we, when we met with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. 
their officials were, they were just crushed. They were saying, wow, you know, first of all, the Chinese eat very little beef. I mean, it's amazing. Um, when we went to the wet market, maybe out of the 40, maybe 60 booths there where they're chopping up everything from chickens to bullfrogs to uh, eels, you know, they, there was one beef booth. And it was just basically the cuts that we normally wouldn't eat. They had some sirloin there for the higher-end people. But uh, then we did go to a, uh, a higher-end supermarket in a fashion mall. <laughs> and mm. they had most of their beef. They did have some U.S. beef there. Um, but most of their beef is grass-fed Australian. And as I was saying, uh, it's, it is a shame that we were pushing so hard and just making headway. And now that Chinese market, for now, uh, looks like it's going to suffer uh, because of the current political situation, and it's really a shame. Um, it, I was just talking to my mom, who's a lifelong you know rancher. She grew up on a ranch. She's been on, lived in the country her whole life, and raised cattle. And and uh, with my dad, who's passed, and she she you know summed it up perfectly. She said, as usual, the farmers and ranchers are the ones that will suffer, and um, in these political events like this, and it's a shame because that huge 1.2 billion dollar Chinese market had just opened up for uh, yeah. the beef guys and it doesn't look good uh, our feeling wasn't good and i can tell by the dour expressions on the uh the people that were briefing us that they didn't look too optimistic about it unless mm-hmm. the situation rectifies which hopefully it does money do you have any last words that you can leave us with some optimism yes i do absolutely and we all <laughs> there was a lot of people coming into this trip especially some of the the uh, senior citizens or the older retired, you know, uh, farmers from the East Coast. There was a lot of people from Illinois and Ohio on our trip, and they kind of went in there with a bad attitude, like, uh, you know, the Chinese are trying to ruin American agriculture. And after 15 days of touring it, everybody came out with a good attitude about, wow, these are nice people. They're, they're good-hearted. We didn't see any aggressive people that were, you know, had an agenda. Everybody was just... Uh, so nice to us, treated with great respect, and uh, they had great pride in their country. And, you know, even the most uh, negative of the people on our tour uh, felt that they really wanted to work it out, and they were a good people. Their country is absolutely clean. Um, I, unfortunately, flew back into uh, Seattle, and, and when I got off the, air, you know, off the airplane, I was just bombarded by homeless people or just people begging. It was like, hey, man, I need to give some money to buy some beer. And we saw none of that. Everybody uh, was working. Uh, if it was, you know, maybe sweeping the streets with giant palm brooms, or uh, we just didn't see anybody just laying around and kicking it. And uh, it, it, so our optimistic outlook was the thing that left us with, the, you know, the, the most lasting impression was the kindheartedness and the giving attitude that these people, the Chinese, have. And even on the trains, uh, Delaney, little children would come up. We were in the remote areas where they probably didn't see a lot of Americans or Caucasians. They would come up with handfuls of, uh, like, pumpkin seeds as a thing there or sunflower seeds and just give them to us. And, of course, everybody's trying to give them money back, and they're like, no, no, no. They, we, they just wanted to express the fact that, you know, they wanted to give something and wanted nothing in return. And that seemed to be the general attitude of the entire country was a very kind, hardworking, and uh, giving, you know, uh, attitude and spirit. And um, they're good-hearted people, and I, I, I had left. I left the country with that impression that uh, overall they're good people. And even though our our leaders are having some, uh, you know, headbutting going on right now, the people themselves are are just like us.
All right, again, that was Monty James there from Your Ag Network is, I guess, technically who he was broadcasting for. He wasn't technically on the China trip for us, but we definitely appreciate his insight into, you know, Chinese culture, Chinese agriculture, and definitely what's been going on the ground with tariffs. You bet. That is really neat to hear. I'm pretty jealous they got to go over there and make that trip, but I'm glad Monty was kind enough to uh, share his thoughts and you know, provide for us a little bit of audio. Hannah, why don't you tell our listeners where they can go for more high-quality Ag News Daily content? Well, folks, if you want to look more into the high-quality Ag News Daily content, like Mike said, you can head to our website at www.agnewsdaily.com. There you'll find a variety of all of our podcasts. Or if you want something more up to speed, up to date, you can go right to our social media pages, Facebook or Twitter at Ag News Daily. And Mike Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.